I'm going to pause you right there because <laughs> your first job was on the Jersey Shore. Yep. <laughs> Anything you care to talk about? What um, do you want to know? <laughs> Hi, and welcome to Drinking With Creatives. It's what creatives normally do, but now we're recording it. My name is Jeremy Berger, a documentary filmmaker and senior editor. And each week I sit down with a fellow creative, talk shop, talk life, and have a drink. The title of producer gets thrown around a lot, but what does it mean? Well, Becca Falborn is the new executive producer for Lime Studios NYC, and we're going to talk to her about her career and the path there. Along the way, we'll touch on work-life balance, podcasting, and whiskey. So much whiskey. Becca. Yes. First question, most important question, what are you drinking tonight? I am drinking 1792 small batch Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey. Oh, yeah. God, sounds nice. I am drinking uh, Lafrog uh, 16 years. Am I pronouncing that right? Lafrog? I think it's Lafroig. Lafroig? Okay. I knew I was messing that up. I don't know. I, I could be wrong though. <laughs> well, thanks to our mutual friends at Nice Shoes, now I'm a scotch drinker. So there you go. Thanks, Paul. Um, <laughs> excellent. So before we have too much of these delicious and uh, highly volatile drinks, why don't you tell everybody who you are, what you do, and where we can find you? Yeah, so I am Becca Falborn, EP of Lime Studios NYC. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar with Lime Studios already, it is originally a West Coast LA-based audio post-production company, and I am one of the first three employees on the East Coast to help expand their um, New York City and East Coast clientele and business, which is super exciting, quite a kickoff to 2021. Mm -hmm. Um, I can be found on LinkedIn. If you search Becca Falborn on, um, Instagram, if you search at Becca bombs and my personal podcast, which is called your excused, the E in your in the E in excused is the same one. So it's just like one run on word. Um, and yeah, there's, if you listen to your excused, you'll hear plenty of things about my life that are probably a bit of an overshare, but it's about like, um, comparing your experiences with other people's in a positive way, just kind of sharing everything. So that if, you know, if you went through something, the odds are someone else went through something similar and just kind of sharing how people have coped with life and the things that have thrown at them. So let's begin at the beginning of that. Uh, mm -hmm. You're opening up Lime Studio, New York City as an EP. First of all, because we, if we, we, we do end up reaching out to a whole bunch of people even outside of the production industry that you and I find ourselves in. Mm -hmm. What is an EP and how would you define their responsibilities? Yeah, so EP is executive producer and we typically are, we, well, you know, on paper and what everyone will tell you, like if they're looking for an EP and a job listing, you know, we are responsible for bidding out projects, client relations, um, booking sessions, making sure that voiceover talent is coordinated uh, for recordings, um, making sure postings go out, making sure that clients know, you know, what's going on. You're kind of the liaison between the artist or the mixer that you're representing and the client themselves. Uh, you also are you know, outside of all that, you know, responsible for helping to wrangle the talent that you're working with, um, 
you become somewhat of a therapist sometimes for some people, uh, then you're also, sometimes you're thrown in as a scratch VO record. Um, you can find yourself potentially helping with a Foley. Like you really never know what's going to happen. And, um, sometimes you end up on podcasts like this. <laughs> with a host who might need therapy. I'm so glad you're professionally trained in that regard. <laughs> I actually was just told today that I'm very good at therapizing people. Is that a word? I'm not sure that's a word. Is I that don't a word? think it is, but I, I kind of like it. <laughs> let's run with it. It's English. It's a bastard of a language to begin with. So let's talk for a second uh, about you're also kind of in, in charge of growing out the business, right? Mm -hmm. Which kind of puts this in a bit of a different light than standard EP duties or no? Yeah, I would say so. Um, I mean, the great thing about this opportunity is that Lime already has such a great reputation and a great following on the West Coast and, and also on the East Coast, you know, without even having a physical space here previously. And, and we don't have a physical space yet. But, um, you know, it's it's great because they're, you know, there's kind of there's always been, you know, the main players of audio in New York and expanding anyone from the west coast over to the east coast it's really important to make sure that uh the right talent is there um you know we're we're going to be expanding our roster of mixers so you know we want that they have the best of the best out in la and we want the best of the best here in new york so that's definitely something that you know is important to keep you know your eyes and ears open as or that i have to keep my eyes and ears open as an ep so you know cruising through linkedin and seeing who's working on what and where credits are are being you know listed for whichever project is getting the most amount of traction and and seeing who clients like to work with and you know agencies tend to uh you know they like to promote their work and they like to put it out there on on linkedin when it's something that you know won an award or anything like that so you always want to look at who worked on that kind of stuff and who's who's attracting those bigger campaigns but one of the things I'm very curious about is because, especially coming from like the creative side of things, like the mixers and artists that you work with, who if left on their own with their perfect client would sometimes struggle to even get like an appropriate sentence out. I'm wondering about your approach to bridging that gulf between uh, artists and the business minds of, you know, the account people that say, you know, your favorite agency or your most unfavorite agency, any agency really. Yeah, I would say that a huge part of being a producer, and it's not even just being an EP, it's just being a producer in general, and, and a huge learning curve that I know is something that I've had to kind of perfect the craft of over the last three plus years is, you know, I've been a producer for almost four years now, um, is wording and emails, like, if you think about it, like email, like, you know, alcohol is kind of like a lubricant for like social interactions and emails to clients, especially now that we're not physically seeing each other in person and being able to interact with clients in person, emails are like the lubricant for the relationship that you're going to create with your mixer or your artist and the client. Because if you rub someone the wrong way via email, then they're not really going to want to work with whoever you're representing. Regardless, you're the first person that's you know, there for that client to talk to before they even book the session. So you are, you know, making sure that they 
that you're that they feel like their voice is being heard that their idea is being understood and that it's being relayed to the mixer properly because really the first time they're interacting with that artist or the mixer is that first session that they have with them um which means that you've already as a producer you've spoken to that other producer multiple times you've had to bid that project you've had to look at storyboards or a work in progress or a rough cut whatever it may be so you're really you know making sure that that person feels safe and like you are going to take care of them sorry i was just swallowing some lafroig um <laughs> i thought maybe you were swallowing my words <laughs> no no not at all not at all this is it this is great. So when you initially, so like a client gives you a call and they're telling you like, we need a mix for a 30 or 60 second spot, booking amount of days, but they've never worked with you before. When mm -hmm. you talk about your mixers to that client, what are the kind of the sales points that you're hitting up? Are you talking about their specialities? Are you talking about time-saving advantages that they've had in the past? I'm, I'm, I'm curious about what's what is it that the clients are looking for in the creatives through which you're uh, what, that they're hiring by hiring you? Yeah. So it, it all depends on the scenario. I'd say 50%, maybe more than 50% of the time, actually, probably 70% of the time, actually um, the client knows who they want to work with already. You know, there, there's a lot of relationships that are deep in there for years and years and years, but um, there's also plenty of times where clients just write in because they know me or they have a relationship with me and they don't necessarily know the mixer that they're going to work with. Um, so in that case, I usually, what I'll do initially is I will share any information I have on that project with the mixer so that they can kind of give me the bit of input they have or their first initial reaction to that project so that I can be able to articulate that to the client because when the client knows that something that they've already worked so hard on, um, and just like a little sidetrack, since audio is the last thing that anyone touches before something goes on air, um, or before that project is, is exposed to before it goes on air, you have to also understand that the people who are working on these projects have already been through, you know, shooting the actual, you know, content, they've been through an edit, which is probably the longest process aside from color and finishing, and they're tired by the time they get to us. So you kind of want to cut the bullshit. Like you just want them to know that you are going to take care of them, that this mixer is inspired to help them and that they find their project creative, beautiful, and the message, something that we are excited to be a part of. And I think that that's kind of what gives you this gives the client and gives you know the creatives this like extra rush of energy or adrenaline to just kind of power through the like to the finish line because there's so many times where we'll get a client who's like i've been through fucking hell and back with this project i just want it to be done like and it's funny because sometimes we'll get text messages or emails or whatever we're fucking approved and they're so excited because that means that project's done and they don't have to worry about it anymore. So, um, you know, being able to have that kind of rapport with your client is really important because it shows that you were on that journey with them. And it shows that the mixer has been involved since the beginning. You say like, so-and-so took a look at the work in progress. They mentioned that like, so, you know, they've worked with that voiceover artist before and they're great, or um, they've worked on this, you know, a similar project before. Have you seen this? And you kind of share something that relates to what they're doing so that they feel like they're in the right hands. 
Ah, you prepared for tonight. Oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm starting to hear all that. You were talking about wording earlier, and I'm starting to starting to hear it a little bit. I I, I, I like that. That's that's well done. Well done. Um, so is this something that you've like always wanted to do? Like, was this like, cause like, uh, at what point were you like audio post-production? I want to be like an EP on that. Or are you limited to that even? So I actually never, ever, ever thought that I would work in audio. Where'd you think you were going to work? Um, so I always knew I wanted to be a producer. I will say that, okay. um, or at least once, once I was finishing high school, um, I, I was not, a, not that I was a recluse in high school, but I was a little bit, um, I like, I, I walked, you know, the path everyone else did. I was president of my high school. I did the announcements every morning. I said the pledge for everyone and, you know, all that good stuff. I used to sing the national anthem at the football games and very involved in student life. But I was also, uh, you know, I, I stood up to people. I didn't, I, 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 I wasn't scared to say things that were, you know, potentially, controversial or that people wouldn't necessarily agree with. And that's kind of always been my thing, but I didn't go the traditional path of going to college, you know, away to college right away. I went to community college. Um, my parents were, you know, advocates of save money and like figure out, make sure you want to do what you want to do. And, uh, you know, if you change majors, that's okay, but it's better to get your prerequisites out your first year, like, you know, locally and, 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 you know, save money, which thank God I did. Um, and so I did that, which I kind of, you know, begrudgingly did it because I really wanted to have that college experience. But in retrospect, it was really great because I went into community college knowing I wanted to be a mass communications, like broadcast journalism style major of some sort. And that was actually the first year I ever even took an audio class, which was weird because that's not a typical prerequisite kind of class, but I ended up taking a lot of extra classes just so that I wouldn't lose any of my credits when I transferred. Cause I knew obviously I wasn't going to be staying at community college. So, um, I remember my first audio project ever. I had to make in Pro Tools a some sort of soundscape or song or music track of sorts that inspired me or that spoke to me. And I, oh my God, I haven't thought about this in so long. This is bringing back so many memories. Um, I ended up creating somewhat of like a meditation sound, which is weird because I didn't meditate then. But it was like an alarm clock jingle and it was like these like harmonious harps and like birds chirping. It was like what you would want your gradual alarm sound to be for waking up in the morning. And then I read like a very peaceful poem. I don't even remember what the poem was. I definitely still have the, the, the file somewhere though. Cause I save everything. I'm, I'm weird like that. Um, but it was, I remember taking the class and it was pretty challenging because I'd never worked on Pro Tools or, or really any editing platform before. And it was my freshman year, but I loved being hands-on and I loved understanding the technical side of what I could potentially be working on someday um, or producing something for someday. So um, that kind of that, and then I took a TV production class as well, which I ended up being the host for a lot of the projects that we were working on. Those two things or those two classes really set me on the path to knowing that I had chosen the correct path for myself and the right major. And then I transferred to 
Manhattan College in the Bronx, and they had a really great brand new like post-production studio space that they had just invested in, um, a new advisor, teacher, professor, who was the most amazing professor I think I've ever had. His name's Dr. Grabowski, and he's still there. He's actually runs the whole communications department now. And it was just, I, I just never really looked back from there. I, I really just leaned right into it. And then I actually ended up taking a script writing class, which I wrote a commercial for Bud Light, which unbeknownst to me, you know, six years later, I ended up starting to work on the audio for all of the Bud Light Dilly Dilly campaign uh, yeah. for about two years. So I remember I, I like saw it come up on my like Facebook memories when I wrote something on my status when I was in college being like, just wrote a Bud Light commercial for my script writing class. And I was like, isn't that funny? So yeah, I mean, I, I kind of always knew I wanted to be on in like, I, I always knew I wanted to be a producer. I always knew I wanted to do something in the creative space. And then um, the path to getting here post-grad. Oh man, I feel like I'm rambling now. Am I talking your ear off? <laughs> Absolutely. What, on a podcast? How dare you? <laughs> um, this is mine. I want to come in with my two cents. Everyone shows up here to talk to me. <laughs> I, um, at, so post-grad, um, my first job out of college, I was a production assistant working for 495 Productions and simultaneously we were shooting Jersey Shore season six and um, Tattoo Nightmares for Spike TV. So that was my first job out of college as a okay. PA. <laughs> I'm gonna pause you right there because <laughs> your first job was on the Jersey Shore. Yep. <laughs> Anything you care to talk about? What um, do you wanna know? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. What what do you have to tell? So I will say, I think every college student who is looking to get into any sort of production, it should be like a requirement that you are a production assistant for reality TV before you even step foot into post-production or doing anything further than that. Um, because you truly don't know what it feels like to be the bottom of the food chain until you do that. And then you appreciate every job you have thereafter exponentially more. Um, it is one of the most grueling experiences, but also really fun. Like mm -hmm. I, I met, I, like, I'm still in touch with all the people I worked with. Um, you know, you just go through these experiences. Like I was on set when Snooki's water broke when she had her first baby at three in the morning. And what? yeah, it was just like wild to even experience because I was also a fan of the show before I worked. So after I worked on Jersey Shore, I worked on Snooki and JWoww seasons two and three. Um, and it, it was just like such a crazy whirlwind. Sometimes I look back at that and it feels like a whole different person in my lifetime that like I just, it, it's it's just so wildly different from what I do now, like what I'm doing now and like what I'm handling now day to day. And just the fact that that was like part of my path, it it's just kind of wild. Like I used to be sitting in minivans with a walkie attached to my ear mm -hmm. waiting for, I, I, was a, I was a crew driver. So I was a PA specifically assigned to a camera crew. Um, it was crew B, B crew, which didn't just, it wasn't coincidental. It was, it was coincidental that I was, that my name's Becca. So 
Um, but it was, <laughs> we also had a blue van. So it was like, a, we were, we rolled deep. We were like, really, you know, we were tight knit. It was myself, a camera operator, assistant camera operator, an audio guy and a tech guy. Sometimes we coordinate our outfits. Like it was so weird, <laughs> but it was so much fun. And, um, you know, you worked a minimum of 12 and a half hours a day. Yep. You got your, you got your, uh, your lunch, uh, which was paid for by the company you made. 125 bucks a day. That was the the day rate for a PA. And you had one dark day a week, which meant that was your one off day. And sometimes you worked on the dark day because those were interview days. So sometimes you didn't really have a day off. And um, it was, it was weird to work that, that, you know, that many hours at a time for that many weeks to months on end, and then go, when the show was done, you you had to like figure out what your next move was going to be if you weren't, if there wasn't another show that, you know, whoever your APOC or your PM was or your UPM was, um, you know, if they didn't, if they didn't have another show that they wanted to bring you on or if there wasn't, you know, enough, uh, enough room for that many PAs, like it was really cutthroat. So you were just kind of like anxious, like, what am I going to do after the, you know, the last rap day? And you wanted to be there for the wrap out and, and, and sending everything back to LA and all this stuff. So, um, then you would, you would go from working, you know, nonstop 12 and a half, 13 hours a day. Then 12 and a half was minimum. Like I said, like, yep. you know, Snooki's water breaks and you can't really just leave and go home. You have to like stay there and like film it. So like, yeah. that's the whole point. Um, so, you know, it, it's just like, you just have to like roll with whatever comes at you. And that's why I think it's so important for people to start with something like that because, um, you know, you, you really appreciate how comfortable life can be after that. And you, you feel like you, all that work actually paid off, um, you know, in a positive way and gave you the, the means to, you know, kind of roll with whatever your future job could potentially hold. So. I feel like I want to know more, but I also feel like we could spend the entire podcast talking <laughs> about onset stories from Jersey Shore, and that's just not going to serve any of us well. That that'll be that'll be a separate episode. We do we yeah. do at some point. Um, <laughs> and funny enough, I think we're going to need something stronger than scotch to go over that. Wow. Um, okay, so you know when you tell people, and, and this like, and while actually I, I I feel like I you know diverted you and then cut you off. Sorry. Like no, after Jersey Shore. Mm -hmm. uh, you said you were there for three seasons all told? So yeah, so I worked on Jersey Shore season six and simultaneously we were shooting Tattoo Nightmares, which is where I spent most of my time mm. um, working on the reenactments for that, which was really interesting. Uh, and then I worked on Jersey Shore, or sorry, uh, Snooki and JWoww seasons two and three. And that was the end of my reality TV career. So it was about two years mm. um, of you know on and off productions and, and, and PA life. And then after that, I was freelancing, working on like marketing and uh, social media for like a small startup company. And then I was waitressing. I've ne I never don't work. I'm not the kind of person who can just not work for a while. Um, mm -hmm. which, you know, the, the three weeks between my previous job and my current job was very weird for me because I've never not done anything like work-wise. So, um, yeah, so after that, I, then I worked on an online, at an online ad sales company. Cause I was, I couldn't find a show to be on and I was really discouraged. And I was, I was like, you know what, maybe, maybe this industry just isn't for me. Maybe I'm just not going to find a job. 
So then I, I was there for about six months. I hated it so much. It was basically a glorified cold calling telemarketer gig. Um, I quit that job and then I, st- I just started applying out of nowhere for post-production companies because I had met a few story producers when I was working on Snooki and JWoww. And I remember being like, what do you, what do you guys do every day? Like post-production? What's that? And like, <laughs> I knew what it was, but I didn't really, because I will say one thing was because the, the program that I was in in school was just, it was just a little, it was new. So it wasn't matured enough yet. Um, Manhattan College used to be a sister school to Mount St. Vincent, and that's where the communications department had been the year before I transferred there. So there just weren't, there wasn't as wide of an array of classes yet. So we didn't really know what a producer did. We didn't really know, um, you know, what opportunities were there in post-production. We knew about like a news anchor, a sportscaster, stuff like that, a camera operator. Um, so once I started to, you know, chat up these post producers, they kind of told me like, we're only out here for like a week. And then we go back to our comfy homes and we work nine to six. And then we go home at the end of, I was like, what? (laughs) I up. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) I, um, I just started applying through, like, I found a bunch of listings through mandy.com. Um, I was started to work on my LinkedIn a little bit more, and my resume and all this stuff. And I remember I applied to like so many, so many companies. And then I realized I was like, damn, this industry, like advertising is really all about who, you know, and I didn't know anyone. So I didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And I was 23 at the time. And, uh, I applied randomly for a job at nice shoes as the receptionist and client service rep. And, got the job without knowing anyone, which I remember them all being like, you sure you didn't know anyone? Like, I was like, no, I literally have never met anyone in this industry before. (laughs) Um, And I was there for two years. Um, Then I worked at Hogarth for a year in business affairs to to kind of bridge into like the mid, you know, junior mid-level of of my career. Mm -hmm. And then I moved on to, I, I was just, I was, so business affairs, like I commend everyone who does that. Cause I've like PTSD when I look at contracts sometimes. Um, it's just, it's oh, a God. lot, it's a lot of, yeah, it's a lot of information and it's, it's also just, it's a little too clerical for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up, you know, I was like, this is, this, you know, this was a good step. At least I'm not, you know, entry level anymore. And I had known, um, I had met some people, uh, who were working at Sound Lounge already and knew the EP there at the time. And I saw they had posted a job listing for a producer and I didn't want to be treated any differently than everyone else. So I applied traditionally through their LinkedIn posting. Um, and the EP at the time called me on my cell phone and was like, hello, you have my phone number why didn't you just like text me? I was like, I want to be considered like everyone else would be just the way I did when I was, you know, brought into this, like when I got into this industry to begin with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, then, um, you know, they, my first interview was basically just them prepping me for my se- second interview. Um, so walked into my second interview, pretty confident. Um, 
ended up getting the job, obviously was there and, and I had never been a producer before. So I, what didn't start as an AP, um, you know, they, they threw me right to the wolves pretty quickly, but it was, it came easy to me. It was just, it felt like second nature. Like it didn't feel like that much of a challenge. Like I just kind of felt like I was meant to do this. Um, and very quickly I, you know, started to, you know, upsell services and, you know, generate more, you know, business and, and create these great relationships within the clients that I, you know, still have great relationships with. Um, and yeah. And then it's interesting because then you realize like, as you work your way up the ranks, I started as producer, got promoted to senior producer a year later, EP a year after that, um, which I know isn't a typical path for a lot of people. So anyone in college don't think that that's how easy that is. <laughs> oh, no. Um, <laughs> no, 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 no. It's very, very odd for that to be the path that someone goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, you, you kind of you realize that you meet these you meet all these amazing, interesting, weird, crazy people through I- your path. And, uh, and then you create relationships. And then that, you know, turns into other, you know, opportunities. And then, you know, here I am. Here you are. Yeah. Excellent. So talk to me just for a quick second, a little bit more about like Lime Studio and like what, like, do you have like a game plan insofar as um, building out further relationships? Um, I don't know if I would necessarily call it a game plan. I mean, my, I would say my general plan all the time that, you know, I think translates over to creating new relationships within the industry is just being as, and, and, you know, especially now with us, with the pandemic and us all working from home and not really having those traditional ad parties and networking events and all that Mm -hmm. is really just being as active as possible on, you know, LinkedIn platforms, on social media, um, with the clients that you're already, you know, close with and, and, and maintaining those relationships and, making sure that, you know, you know, the other, the other, you know, one thing that it has been interesting is that, you know, I'm the EP of Lime New York City, the EP of Lime in general, Susie is, you know, an incredible um, leader. And I've, I've known, I met her through the industry and that's, you know, kind of why I'm, why I am where I am. And um, she, I really haven't had many like female superiors who I've been able to learn from. And I think that's one thing that is really, it's a great opportunity for me right now because in the past, my, my, you know, bosses have always been somewhat, you know, a, a middle-aged white man, Not nothing wrong with that. But, you know, as a young white female, I would love to be able to learn from someone who has been in my shoes and knows what I would potentially experience and has done it in a way that is it's just with so much poise and and you know she has such a great reputation so it's like you want to surround yourself with people like that feed off that energy um so you know people call her because they trust her people call me because they trust me I want to be able to in body that for Lime New York. I want people to know that we are going to take care of them. And, and, you know, the, the feedback that I've already received from everyone who I already have my own connections with over the last week and a half or so is just been, you know, amazing from everyone in the industry that, you know, the people who have brought us work already and are, you know, continuing to, it's just, it's really great to see that people are happy for you, regardless of where you work and want to continue to work with you, even though you're not the mixer. I'm not the one doing all the physical work. 
Um, but they trust me to take care of them. And that's what matters most. If you don't mind me asking, do you have uh, family or friends from like from your college days or before who are in the industry ahead of time? Or are you like the first one among your flock to venture into production and post? So production and post, I'm definitely the only one in my family and my friends. Yeah, I mean, the only friends that I have that are in this industry, I've met through the industry, all my friends from high school and whatnot, like no one else went into that fields. Um, but my advertising, my dad, so my, my grandfather, uh, he was an advertising executive, like back in the Mad Men days. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and can you, tell, had, can you tell me which agency it was? He had his own small agency with his business partner at the time. Um, and so it was like a little boutique agency and it was all, mostly for print ads. Um, and it was it had it had a sh- kind of a short run, um, you know. Uh, he actually ended up being a writer for the New York Times for a little bit, and oh, wow. or actually not a little bit for a while. Um, and my dad worked with him for a little bit while he was, dur- you know, during the end of the boutique um, agency days. And uh, you know, my my grandfather actually he passed away two years uh, two years ago almost. Wow. Was it today? Oh my God. I don't even know. No, no, no. Actually today would have been his, yesterday was his, would have been his birthday. Um, and he passed away January, 2019. And when he, uh, in his last few weeks, we went to go visit him at the the veterans home and it was right before Super Bowl. It was the year that I had produced the most amount of Super Bowl campaigns I've ever worked on, which was seven out of the 12 that we had worked on as a company. And I was telling him, you know, pop, uh, I'm working on a bunch of Super Bowl campaigns. He was a huge Giants fan. Our football was like a religion to our family growing up. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, he, you know, couldn't really talk. He was basically, he was on hospice. So he was like dying. Mm -hmm. Um, And he mumbles like with all of his might, what agencies? He just wanted to know what agencies I was working with. (laughs) That's amazing. So I was like, you know, I told him, I was like, you know, gray advertising, um, J. Walter Thompson, BBDO, and his eyes lit up and he goes, that's big time. And I just bawled crying because I was like, I was, it was like such a proud moment of his. And my dad was like, I really hope he can make it to the, till the Super Bowl to see them. But he passed like a week before the Super Bowl. Oh, um, I'm so sorry. It's okay. It was it, that moment in itself was just so magical because I was the only, you know, we have, my grandfather had 16 grandchildren and I was the only one that went into advertising. So it was really great to have that moment with him. Um, so, yeah, so that was, that's probably the only person that's like that close to what I currently do and, and what I've done. Everyone else kind of went on their own different paths. It's interesting that your grandfather being in, like, I, I think that you have to like, describe what it is that you do to your family members because they're not involved in any way oh my gosh yes it's so funny if I ever share anything that I've worked on my sister will be like my sister did the audio and I'm like oh my god (laughs) (laughs) well that leads me into like what's the what's the toughest thing uh that you have to tell them about your day-to-day that's just the hardest to communicate that I'm fucking busy (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay. Okay. You know, they'll be like, well, you posted something on your Instagram story. I'm like, it's because I have clients that I engage with on Instagram. Like, can you not like ridicule everything I'm doing? Or like, it's just, it's, it's so between that. And then, you know, you know, that, that the, the one thing that really I think irks every one of my family members, probably some of my friends, mm-hmm. is how attached I am to my phone. Yes. Um, because I'll mention like, oh, I might have, you know, a work email come through or a work call or a client and whatever. And then, you know, I, I'm not I'm not the kind of person that's going to like interrupt like a, a wedding or like a special moment to like take a client call. I can turn off when I need to, but a lot of the time it's, you know, if, if, if a client needs something, they're going to call me if, if they don't get in touch with me via email, if I don't answer them, whatever it may be. So, um, I don't want the, and, and the other thing is, is that like, and I think that this is starting to get like debunked a little bit now um, that people are trying to, I think people are trying to create a better work-life balance since we've all been working from home, but I really, I can't, I don't want to say that indefinitely, but I think that, you know, setting the boundaries with clients is getting to be a little more widely accepted. Um, and previously it definitely was not. Uh, so you know, I think that my family sometimes is like, you can't come to something on a Saturday because of work. And I'm like, kill me. (laughs) Yes. 100%. I feel your agony. Uh, we have all felt it. Oh man. Or not understanding that like my workday doesn't always end at six o'clock. Majority of the time I'm like, like last night I went to, I, I, at six o'clock, I left my apartment, went to a workout class that started at 645. And by the time I was done, I looked at my phone and I had two text messages, two emails and a missed call all from clients. Mm. And I got home and I had to like book a session for today and, um, you know, update my team on what was going on. And it took me about 20 minutes to just like get everything sorted so that I wouldn't have to do it at 10 o'clock at night or at eight o'clock this morning. It's like, you kind of got to pick your battles. So like, it's my responsibility. I have to do it. That's it. Like, and I think, I think that's the one thing that they don't understand is like the tight deadlines, the fact that I can't just wait till tomorrow. Um, and that if I don't answer the client, then they're going to go somewhere else and do it somewhere else. So. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's been a tough thing for me to communicate as well. Uh, I, I feel like it's a, it's a combination of two things. There's that Jim Jermush line where anybody jumping into production, it's kind of like running away to join the circus. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, you know, especially as a producer, you know, you're kind of the uh, the ringleader. So if uh, you're not there, the show literally doesn't go on. Exactly. Because then no one else was at a book a session. They're just like, um, I'll start working, but like, can I get a work order? <laughs> um, sure. <laughs> if, I guess that means I'm still working as well. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so do you mind if you, we uh, talk for a second about your excused? Sure. What do you yeah, want to know about it? <laughs> I want to know everything about it. Talk to me. So your excused is the podcast about excusing or letting go of negative energy or pretty much any bullshit in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and just kind of trying to promote a more positive outlook and like mentality. So very like glass half full as opposed to glass half empty. You know, we, we can all 
and I, and I was a huge, um, like, like, I don't even know what word I'm trying to find right now. I was, I was guilty of allowing things that really didn't matter in the grand scheme of life get me down. And it's kind of goes back to my advice I would give people who are either, you know, feeling stuck or whatever in their, in their jobs or trying to, you know, progress their careers of not comparing yourselves to others is like in life in general, it's really hard to not compare yourself to everyone else around you because one social media is just constantly giving us like what everyone else is doing a hundred percent of the time or 200% of the time, even when you don't want to see it. And I was depending on other people for my happiness a lot. And I wasn't really creating it myself. So like I was in a toxic relationship with an ex-boyfriend for like three and a half years. And I put him before myself all the time. And I, my happiness depended on him and I never wanted to, to act that way or be like that again. So you have to like actively work out your brain to kind of make sure that you're realizing how to detach yourself from someone else or not depend on other people or other scenarios to, you know, make you happy or create your happiness. You have to create your own happiness. So, um, and then not even just like, you know, boyfriends or girlfriends, even friends, like just because you've been friends with someone for 10 years, doesn't mean you have to continue to be friends with them. If they're a shitty friend, you don't have to be friends with them anymore. Like period, end of story. Um, even, you know, I, I, it's a little cutthroat, but sometimes your family members are not that great to you and you, and you have to, you know, they, they drain you emotionally and mentally, and you really have to kind of protect your own brain and your own emotions more than anything else. Because at the end of the day, like you have to go to sleep with yourself at night. Like you have to, you, you are alone with your own mind. So if you can't, if you can't be happy by yourself, you're not going to be happy surrounded by a bunch of mediocre humans. Like that's just it. Um, so the, the premise of the whole podcast and the point of it is really to make sure that no matter what hardships or struggles you've gone through in your life is I, I try to bring together people or, you know, interview people who have gone through something or had some sort of obstacle that anyone else probably had too. And it's a positive way of comparing yourself to other people being like, oh my God, I'm going through this exact same thing with a shitty person in my life that I don't know how to deal with. And this person that was on your excuse is talking about how they had the same shitty scenario happen to them. And that's how they coped with it, dealt with it and got rid of it. Like, that's the kind of stuff that I'm trying to like advocate for. So whether, you know, someone went through a divorce, had a really bad job or a shitty boss. Um, if someone had really bad habits, I had, you know, wasn't the healthiest for a while and, and wanted to create healthier habits of working out more often, all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, just little things like that. It's just like, it's, it's a positive comparison of how we can be advocating for each other and for healthier lifestyles and, and, you know, making sure that you're really going for whatever is going to make you happy at the end of the day without depending on other, other people in your life. Now, if you don't, if you just stop me if I'm getting too personal about this, but was it the three and a half year toxic relationship with the boyfriend that started this off or was there something more specific or not more specific than that? That's pretty specific, but, or is it something else I should say? It definitely was what started that mindset. Um, mm -hmm. because, but I start, so I started the podcast summer, 2019, 
Um, the relationship ended, a, you know, long before that, mm. but, um, that was, that was definitely a big factor. Um, because I had put his happiness before my own, uh, so much to the point that I had gained an unhealthy amount of weight while I was in the end of that relationship. Um, he ended up developing a drug problem. So I, you know, wanted him to be healthy and I was the opposite end of the spectrum in that sense. And, you know, he was, you know, uh, he was very manipulative and controlling and he was gaslighting me all the time. And I just remember that I just felt so horrible. Like I, nothing about it was made me happy anymore. And I just woke up one day and was like, I'm done. And I snapped and I was, and I never wanted to feel that way again. And then I watched friends of mine go through similar situations and, you know, people I knew, and I just kind of would reach out to people being like, Hey, like, I just want you to know, like, I understand that this is really hard to like get through and, and it's, and I'm, you know, you can tell me to fuck off if you don't want to hear what I have to say. But, um, when you get past the hard part of, of excusing yourself or excusing someone else from your life, you start a whole new way of thinking and a whole new outlook on what, like, what you can do more of and, 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 and ways to make yourself happier. And it's almost like this, like weird form of like clarity that you didn't think you were going to ever see again, because you're just so used to being like in a fog and in a rut and like angry all the time. So, um, that was definitely a huge factor in it. Um, and then just, I think progressing professionally, uh, I, I had compared myself to other people. Why is that person a producer already? And I'm not yet why, you know, I, I, I made goals for myself and I got very discouraged. Um, once I was, I want like, I wanted to be EP before I turned 30. That was like a huge goal of mine. And at, when I was 26, yeah, mm -hmm. I was still in business affairs in like as a coordinator at an agency. And I was like, shit, this is never going to happen. That's no, 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 there's not enough time. I don't have enough experience. Mm -hmm. And I did it. <laughs> like I was an EP by the time I was 28. So, um, Wait a second. You mean the for, the future that you forecast for your life at the age of 26 turned out to be wrong? Yep. <laughs> Incredible. Incredible. Wow. But I was just so, I, 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 I kept comparing myself to other people. I remember like thinking I was never going to get to a certain point. And then my dad used to tell me all the time, even my sister, uh, you know, you're not going to get anywhere with that mentality. Like, you know, if, if you want it, do it. Like, it was, it was more of a, it was, it was like, don't, don't doubt yourself kind of thing. And then I was just kind of like, you're right. I just have to keep, you know, working hard and, and, and worrying about myself. And, you know, if anyone's going to try to come in here and like fuck with my happiness, like they're not, they're excused. That was like the, the saying we had all the time, which is where the, the name of the podcast came from. Um, you know, it, it was, it was really just about, promoting the the absolute best way you can possibly live your life um and excusing all of the ways that made it you know shitty or unhappy and not saying like there's shitty things that happen every day like my doorbell broke or something you know whatever but like you have to kind of think of it as like 
you know, I, I was just telling someone today, they, they were, you know, complaining about some shit. Oh, I've just been so stressed lately and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, maybe instead of thinking about all the bad things that happened, like rephrase it, like, like someone who I knew had, you know, had COVID, but beat it and they're fine and they're good and they're healthy now. So I was like, I understand that's something that's bad that happened to you, but instead of saying like, oh, I just had COVID and then this happened, just be like, I beat COVID, like flip it as a positive. Like you just beat a deadly virus that people are dying every day from. So, you know, it's all about, you know, the silver lining in my opinion. Is there a particular, is there like a go-to silver lining that you pull out for like small occasions? Like I know everything sucks, but this. Yeah, well, I always say tough times don't last, tough people do. There you go. There you go. I think I just saw that printed on a billboard actually, but it was rephrased like uh, tough times don't last, but New Yorkers do. And it was all about the COVID-19 yeah. response. Yeah. Oh, I, I know, I know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's, it, it is funny. And I, I think I was actually, I was just remarking to somebody else during one of these recordings that I need to get new material. Uh, Cause sometimes I find myself bringing up the same things over and over and over again. <laughs> Uh, but it is kind of remarkable, isn't it, how much time we spend talking about the bad things or having this story about that conflict that we didn't quite resolve versus the one that we did resolve. Why do you think that is? I think because as a, I think as a society and I think as Americans also in general, because I've noticed that this is definitely more of an American outlook than like my friends who I have that live in like Europe, or I have some friends who live in like Mexico and like Canada. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that because the way the media saturates, like even memes on Instagram when you're, when you're flipping through, it's like um, time flies when you're depressed and drunk all the time. And it's like, yeah. why are we get like, I get it. Like it's funny and, I, and I'm, I'm just as guilty of it to like share it with my friends and and you know there's that meme of that that dog or cat or whatever it is in the middle of the flames like this is fine everything's fine and like i i totally understand it and there's days when i you know i'm just pissed off at the world and everyone and my anxiety is really bad and i don't want to talk to anyone i close myself off but like there's a day or two here and there and it's all about like you know, not everything happens to you. Sometimes things happen because of you. And the mm -hmm. one thing that's the biggest problem with so many people is that they don't understand that. It's like, don't complain that like, like, ugh, I want to say something so badly and I really want to, but like I, if one of my friends listens to this, she'll know that I'm talking about her. So I feel really bad. Let, you, let's not um, do that. I don't want to get anybody in trouble. <laughs> But it's, it's more about the, I, I'm very much so against the victim mentality. It's like, mm -hmm. I, I, tend to, I tend to be very diplomatic in that sense of like, you know, I, I like, I, so I'll, I'll say this in a roundabout way. Okay. My friends and I, you know, we, we've been as, as careful as we can be as like 30 year olds who are single living in a city who still want to enjoy life. And, you know, we, in, I live in Jersey city, we still have indoor and outdoor dining we can go out if we want to, we can have a cocktail at the bar, but not sitting at the bar, whatever. We can still live somewhat of a normal life if we want to. And at the end of the day, you know, we, we kind of said like, you know, if one of us got COVID, we wouldn't really be that surprised because 
while we wear masks everywhere we go and, and we do certain things to be as safe as we possibly can, we're also not just isolating ourselves in our apartments. We're still going places. And whether you're going to the grocery store or a restaurant, you're, you're running the same risk either way. Right. So there's friends of mine who find out that someone else got infected and then they might've been in contact with them. And then they're suddenly surprised or pissed off or angry. That means that they could potentially also be infected. And I'm like, did you isolate yourself in a room, lock the door and throw away the key? No. So why are you surprised? Like, this is what happens. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's, and I said, I said, I made a comparison to my dad's girlfriend a few weeks ago. I said, it's like stepping in a pile of shit and expecting your shoe not to smell. (laughs) I love that analogy. Um, Okay. Okay. So like, isn't it like almost it demands a simple like a perspective shift it yeah. sounds like mm-hmm. because it, it it's very a singular focus because it's about you and it's on you whereas the greater context of things is well yeah we've been going out every night you know COVID-19 you might get it uh and if you're under 30 and like not a smoker and in good health with a good immune response system you know you know immune yeah. system then you're probably going to be fine but right. it's about minimizing the exposure etc cetera, etc cetera, which is the greater context of it we do this to minimize what would otherwise be a terrible which already is a terribly contagious disease right exactly and and you know the other thing is that like you know even after i i had seen someone who i hadn't seen in a while like a friend in in a in a you know, not a large group of friends. Uh, uh, we've been very good about keeping like the suggested number of people um, anywhere that we are. But I was in a public place at, at a restaurant and someone was there who I hadn't seen in a while. And they had, you know, let someone know that someone they had been in contact with, you know, days before I tested positive, everyone went to go get tested. And I said to myself, I was like, if I get it because I saw this person who I don't actually even see that often, I'm going to be really angry at myself. Like this is just reckless and like irresponsible, but like I, the only person I would be angry at is myself. Like mm. it's no one else's fault. I made the decision to go there. I made the decision to, to make contact with that person. Even if you lice all the shit out of your apartment, when someone comes in, if they had it and they're in your apartment, like you're just kind of fucked. So like there's, there's that. So it's, it's like, I, I, and I said to my friends, I was like, you might see less of me over the next few weeks. I'm just, I just don't feel like being sick right now. So like, I am going to be a little bit selective about the people that I spend time with. Like I just started a new job. I want to be as sharp as a tack. Yes. That's it. Um, and you know, some people take offense to it and I'm like, dude, fuck off. Like I'm, I'm all set. (laughs) (laughs) Title of the episode, everyone, dude, fuck off. I'm all set. (laughs) I love it. Let me ask you this, and this will this mm-hmm. be my, my last question for the evening. I, okay. I promise. And then, and then I'll, I'll, I'll let you be free. Um, <laughs> now that there is a vaccine in sight, there is like light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, it's still a very long tunnel, and that light is still kind of far off, but it's there. Mm-hmm. People are starting to try and understand the effect of this lockdown. So I don't know if you know this, like we're, uh, it's the second week in January right now, mm-hmm. and we just passed the one-year anniversary of the first stateside COVID-19 discovery. Yes. That's one year. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, we talked about the watershed moments that led ultimately to your excused mm-hmm. um, and also to a certain amount of your personal and professional growth. But has there been anything specific uh, outside of your apartment? 
mm-hmm. um, as a result of the COVID-19 lockdown, is there any of the kind of discoveries that you say, you know what, if it wasn't for this, I would not, I would not know that right now. Is there a silver lining for you in the COVID-19? Oh, a thousand percent. Um, I, so, you know, 2019 was a very um, interesting year for me. I definitely prioritized work life over personal life, a hundred percent. I was probably, you know, if you were in New York city and you were at an advertising networking event, I was there. Um, I was out late and, you know, at work early and you know, early, but like in the morning, the next day I had very long days. I was, you know, going out with clients, going to any, you know, party or event there was hosting something, whatever it may have been, um, you know, eating out all the time, drinking all the time, just unhealthy lifestyle. And, uh, last January I completed my first dry January. Um, and I lost, I, I, I just, gained a lot of weight and was very like physically unhappy with myself. And from January 1st, 2020 until January 1st, 2021, I've lost 40 pounds. Oh, congratulations. Um, That's incredible. Thank you. Uh, and I would not, honestly, like I wouldn't have done that if I continued on the same lifestyle I was on. And even though like, you know, January last year wasn't lockdown mode, I, I, have a different relationship with alcohol in a way that like I can have one drink and stop drinking or I can I can um sorry I'm gonna let this ambulance go by my apartment real quick um I I can you know say no to doing certain things if I don't want to I'm I'm more I've been able to get to know myself on a on a more personal level and my own brain um, I've meditated daily, which is not something I was able to incorporate before I tried to, and then would, you know, fail miserably at trying to do it, um, or, you know, prioritizing it. And I have also, you know, in, within the, you know, no drinking kind of thing and, and, you know, eating healthier, being healthier, working out, um, quick shout out to F45, because that's the gym I go to. And as much as it, physically pains me after I go. Um, it's done wonders and I love it. Um, but I, I think also when you're, when you're healthier with your, in, in your own brain and physically, and you're practicing healthier habits for yourself, you end up in turn, you know, kind of getting rid of some people in your life that weren't good influences. So like, you know, a shift in relationships with people and, you know, some I've, you know, gotten rid of some friends that I was just like, this person's never happy for me at all. So like, I don't want them around. Um, and, and just kind of like a new perspective on, on everything and, and getting closer to certain people. And, but I think that mainly it was just being able to have a healthier lifestyle and adapting to a better work-life balance that doesn't require so much pressure on myself to like, be the only person that's schmoozing clients all the time or like, you know, getting, having better relationships with clients that doesn't require alcohol. So, um, yeah, I would say, honestly, I, I, I feel kind of bad that sometimes I'm like this past year really needed to happen. Cause I felt like the world was like this very overly blown up bubble that needed to pop, but mm-hmm. we were kind of oversaturated and we really needed a little bit of a recharge. Becca, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. This was great. 
course. I can't wait to have you back. Anytime, anytime. Always down for a podcast chat. Thanks, Becca. You can find Becca Falborn on LinkedIn and the podcast You're Excused on Apple Podcasts. For this episode and more, please head to drinkingwithcreatives.com. And please support us there on our Patreon. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your preferred platform. My name is Jeremy Berger. I hope you're well. We'll see you next time. Thank you.